Well, what's up, everybody? Great to see you guys. Uh, my name is uh, Mike Bro. in case we haven't met. Man, I always get super excited when I see the crossing on my uh, teaching schedule. I want to welcome all of you that might be joining us online today. And also a big shout out to our Southeast campus. Uh, heard that there were 500 people there last weekend for opening weekend. So we're celebrating week number two uh, with you guys. So grateful that we get to partner and do this together on both sides of, of the valley here. Uh, re really excited to, that I, I get to go to Mexico with a bunch of you guys in, in May. Uh, we're trying to build 10 houses in one weekend. I mean, it's a blitz build, and you got till March the 1st to register for this thing, and you really ought to consider going. We got room for like 150 guys. Uh, there's scholarships available if you don't have the cash. It is going to be so cool, and uh, it could change a whole bunch of lives in Mexico, including uh, all of ours. So you ought to think about uh, heading down there with us. I, I heard about a pediatrician who was examining a little four-year-old boy, and he was just trying to be funny with him, and he, he checked his ears, and he says, is Mickey Mouse in there? And the little boy goes, no. He said, I want you to open your mouth. Is Olaf in there? Little boy, no. He took out the stethoscope, said, I'm going to check your heart. Is Spider-Man in there? He said, no, silly. Jesus is in my heart. Spider-Man's on my underwear. <laughs> now, I may or may not have Spider-Man on my underwear, uh, but it took quite a while for me to allow Jesus uh, into my heart, in, into my life. I really, I really didn't know him. I was 17 years old when I finally started really studying the life of Jesus. And I got to tell you, he absolutely blew me away. He blew away my misperceptions of God. He changed the way I saw myself. He changed the way I saw other people. And over the course of time, he's, he's changed my life. So much so, when I was, when I was about 25 years old, uh, my kids were really small. I sensed a need to get my life into more of a sharp focus. So someone told me I ought to sit down and write like a life mission statement. Has anyone ever told you you ought to do that? So I, so I thought about uh, how could I get really laser focused and start living my life in like crystal clear, high definition? What, what could I write that would be simple for, and easy for me to understand and something that I could really go after? And this is what I simply wrote down. I said, I just want to look and love and live like Jesus. That's it. Now, gang, I got a long way to go, a long way to go. But I can't tell you how excited I was when Shane told me that we were going to be going through the gospel of Mark looking at Jesus. Because I know what can happen to a person when Jesus becomes your primary role model. And today we hit a really cool transitional passage that's found in the middle of Mark chapter 8. If you have a Bible, you can turn to that. If you've got an app that you use, or we're going to put it on the screens as well, and you can just follow along. And next weekend, Shane's going to lead us on a journey with Jesus as he starts toward the cross. And that's going to take us all the way up uh, through Easter. And so far in this series, we've heard some of Jesus' amazing teaching, 
how he taught with wisdom and authority and clarity like no one the people had ever heard before. And we've seen Jesus do all kinds of miracles to this point. Healed a paralyzed guy, a blind beggar, a, a, a leper that most people considered untouchable. He restores sanity to this demon-possessed man, even raises a dead girl to life. And here in the first part of Mark chapter 8, he even miraculously feeds 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. So as you might imagine... Lots of people were super excited about Jesus. Their expectations were sky high. You see, for many years, they had dreamed that someone like him would show up. They had dreamed of a political Messiah. They had been longing for an economic savior, someone that could do something about the mess that they were in. They were anticipating this military conqueror who would finally crush the opposition of Rome. And here comes this strong, kind, charismatic, articulate miracle worker. And they thought, well, he just might be the one. Now, the religious leaders couldn't stand Jesus because he threatened their corrupt little empire. But the common people, they loved Jesus because he filled them with hope of a better day. And you know what? The adoration of the crowd can be a pretty intoxicating thing. I mean, celebrity status can be a real rush for people. And honestly, it's a rush that most people don't handle very well. But let's just face it. We all want to be known, don't we? We all want to be accepted. We all want to be liked. So much so, we can become addicted to the crowd. We can become addicted to approval and applause. We can become addicted to retweets and how many likes our post has received. I was talking to a dad of a middle school girl who walked in and found her the other day crying, and he began to probe, and finally he got past the, oh, nothing's wrong thing, and discovered that what was the problem, she had posted something, and no one, quote, unquote, liked it, and it just crushed her. Because she didn't see it as no one liked my post. She saw it as no one likes me. I mean, we all like to be liked. And I believe Jesus was no different. I believe that Jesus, in his humanity, wrestled with this too. And that's why this passage is so significant to me. Not only because it contains the words of life, which you're going to see in just a second, but also because it shows the very real internal struggle that Jesus himself had to wrestle with all the way to the cross. We're going to pick it up in verse 27. This is how it starts. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee, and they went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, uh, guys, who, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say you're like one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and replies, you're, you're the Messiah. Yeah, you are the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Now that, that question that Jesus asked, who do you say that I am, is a question that all of us have to wrestle with? So before we go any, any further, I'm just wondering, have you reached the same conclusion that, that Peter did? I mean, may, maybe, you know, you're, you're not really sure, like I used not to be really sure about this whole God thing. Maybe you got some questions. Maybe you got some skepticism, some doubts. I got to tell you, I am so pumped that you're checking this out. 
because God has always honored, even embraced skeptics and seekers and doubters. He's always open to questions. He's always open to honest dialogue. And I know from experience that if anyone will humbly just crack the door to the possibility that God is real, he will show up and help you find your answers because God loves honesty. He loves skeptics. He loves doubters. He loves you. He even says, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. And I've discovered it really is a head and a heart kind of thing. And I'm guessing that God has just been longing for some honest dialogue with, with some of us. And I'm telling you from my own experience, he really does want to satisfy your mind and touch your heart. Just like he did here with Peter. Well, after Peter says this, you are the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God, Jesus tells the rest of the guys and Peter, let's, let's just keep this under wraps so not to unnecessarily stir things up before his time. And then he, then he tells them, you know what, you're right in what you say, who I am. But it's not going to go down exactly the way you think it's going to. And then it says this, verse 31, he began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. And be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. That he would be killed. But three days later he would rise from the dead. And as he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside. And began to reprimand him for saying such things. I can see Peter going, there's no way, Jesus. That cannot happen to you. I just told you. You're the Messiah. You're, you're, you're God. Come on, you walk on water. It cannot go down this way. And Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said, for you're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I've read this before and thought, come on, Jesus, I need to ease up on Peter a little bit. I mean, this is kind of harsh, right? You just called him Satan. I mean, he's the, he's the guy that just confessed that you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he's, only, he's the only guy that actually spoke up and said anything, and Peter's not some like brilliant theologian, he's just a simple fisherman. Besides that, he really, really like cares about you. And he can't, he can't fathom that a good, kind, compassionate, powerful, storm-calming, water-walking man like you could ever be arrested and killed. So you really ought to like cut Peter some slack. But here's my opinion about it. Just my opinion. I don't think he was really actually talking to Peter per se when he said get behind me or get away from me Satan I believe he was really addressing the enemy I, I want to go back to where Jesus started this ongoing conversation with the enemy of his soul the enemy of our soul in, in Mark chapter 1 he gives a brief encounter just a brief mention of this but it doesn't include a whole lot of detail but over in Luke's gospel he records how Jesus goes into the wilderness right after his baptism, right before Jesus launches into his public ministry. And while he is there, he's just trying to get his head and his heart together. The original identity thief shows up and he tries to hack into Jesus' soul and put all kinds of doubts in his mind. I mean, Jesus would have to wrestle with, who am I, really? Why am I here? What is it that I want to accomplish with my life? What is my focus? Can I really go through with the plan? Can I really imagine a cross in my future? Can I really endure the pain and lay down my life 
for the sins of the world. He would have to wrestle with the same accusing whispers that you and I hear. He would have to stare down the same temptations and the same distractions that try to trip you and me up. So here's Jesus. He's riding the spiritual high of his baptism. He goes into the desert to be alone with his father. He's fasting from food. He's just trying to get really focused on the task at hand. Let me ask, anybody, anybody fast? Anybody good at fasting? I'm just not a real spiritual thing to say as a pastor. I'm a terrible faster. I'm just not very good at it. I mean, I start off okay. And I can go about a day, then I'm dreaming of Krispy Kremes. It's just, it's just I'm terrible at, at, at fasting. But Jesus has been, he's been going at this for a long extended time, and he's really, really hungry, and he's physically weak, and he's vulnerable, and Satan appeals to his flesh and comes along and says, hungry, aren't you? Yeah. Come on, you need to stop this spiritual silliness. Gratify your impulses. Come on, Jesus. You need to flex your power to satisfy yourself. Man, just think, if you could just turn these stones into bread, you could eat like right now. And besides that, just think, you could feed all the other people too. Because I know you're like big into this compassion thing and all that stuff. And there's, there's lots of hungry people around this place. Man, if you could just turn all these stones to bread, you would have them eating out of your hand. You'd be the most popular guy going if you could do that. And you know that's what they're looking for. That's the kind of Savior. That's the kind of Messiah that they want. It's the economy, stupid. Feed them, and they will follow you by the thousands. That's the way politicians work. That's the way dictators rise to power. They certainly don't rise to power by going to a cross. Come on, Jesus, that's stupid. This is who you need to be. Now, you do know, don't you, that Jesus had the power to turn those stones into bread. But in this moment, he refused to use his miraculous power to indulge his own appetites or to impress the people. And he comes back at Satan and says, I'm not a bread Messiah. I'm not their economic savior. I didn't come to temporarily feed their bellies. I came to free their soul for eternity. And then he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 from the Old Testament. He says, it's written, man doesn't live on bread alone. There's something deeper that satisfies a man. There's something deeper that satisfies a woman. There's someone greater that I hunger for, and that is my relationship with my Father, and I will humbly feed on His words and not yours. You guys ever noticed how temptation throws cheap shots? I mean, like sucker punches hits you when you're the most vulnerable. I mean, you get some bad health news, and all of a sudden you're vulnerable to disillusionment, maybe even to bitterness. Your relationship at home is not the greatest and you're vulnerable, and somebody at work begins to flirt with you, and down that road you go, or you start going to AA meetings, and you're doing just great, and then you lose this big account at work, and a buddy says, come on, man, let's just go have a drink and forget about this. Or you make that New Year's resolution, you know you're going to lose some weight and get in shape, and after you finish your little bitty piece of chicken on the barbie with steamed vegetables, someone at the next table gets chocolate thunder from down under, <laughs> and you're vulnerable. Do you see why inner character is so important? Do you see why strength on the inside of me and you is so vital? Do you see why knowing God and knowing who you are in his eyes, knowing that truth, you see why that's so crucial? Well, the enemy tries another approach. He takes Jesus to this panoramic spot where maybe Jesus can see that all, all the major roads leading to all the major kingdoms of the day. And then like some slick promoter, 
Satan says, Jesus, I've got a great, great offer for you. Check it out. All these kingdoms, all these kingdoms, they could be yours. All the possessions, all the power, all the perks, all the prestige. You could have it all. You could rule it all. Man, I'm telling you, Jesus, with your power and your charisma and your gifts and your personality, I could make you into an overnight superstar. And that's what it's all about, right? If you would just avoid the painful cross, and who wouldn't want to do that? If you would just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all this stuff. I'll give you all these kingdoms, all the power, all the wealth anyone could dream of. All you got to do is do it my way instead of God's way. Come on. What do you say? And Jesus, again, quotes Deuteronomy, the Shema that every Hebrew child grew up learning, including Jesus. It was already deeply embedded in his heart and in his mind. And Jesus says, it's written, you worship the Lord your God, you serve him only. I'm interested in only one kingdom, and that's the kingdom of God. And there is only one who is worthy of my worship, only one who is worthy of my allegiance, only one who is worthy of my adoration, and you certainly are not that one. So Satan tries another angle. He comes to Jesus and says, let let me teach you how to get a crowd. Come on, you've done the low-key approach thing. You've tried that unspectacular manger in a stables thing. What did that get you? Got you a few low-life shepherds. You grew up in a little bitty hick town. You've been doing carpentry work. The only guy promoting you is some desert freak who eats grasshoppers and wild honey. Let me promote you. You need a little flash, man. You need a little spectacular. So here's what I'm thinking, Jesus. Just throw yourself down off the apex of the temple. It's about 100 feet to the bottom of the valley. You could do this swan dive thing, and then out of nowhere, the angels could scoop down and, and, and catch you, and you can float to the ground. Now, that's what I call an entrance you do that and the people will be wowed they will love you especially the religious people because you know they're going to be your toughest sell that's the kind of messiah they're expecting and longing for anyway you know they are not going to go for this crucified savior on a cross thing I'm telling you, Jesus, mark my words, you're going to wind up misunderstood and rejected and forsaken and alone. And who in their right mind would want that? So why not play to the crowd? Get your name in lights. Receive the adoration of millions. Come on. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus says, it's written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. I'm not about to put my father to some silly angel swoop down to rescue me test just so my ego can get stroked, just so I can feel accepted by the masses. I'm already accepted by the one who matters most. And I resolve to live my life for his approval and his approval alone. And gang, with that, he walked out of that battle full of peace and passion and purpose and confidence and laser focus. Jesus was able to say, I know who I am. I am the much-loved Son of God in whom he is well-pleased. I am a preach the good news, release the captives, lay down his life for the sins of the world kind of Messiah. That's who I am, and that's why I'm here, and that's what I'm going to accomplish. In fact, there's a whole bunch of people in Las Vegas someday that are depending on me to go through with this, and nothing is going to distract me from doing what God wants me to do. And aren't you glad he didn't cave in? Aren't you glad he didn't bail out? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't choose to feed his ego to be liked? 
to stockpile his portfolio, to get his face on magazine covers, short-circuit the plan of God. Aren't you glad in this moment now, almost three years later in Mark chapter 8, as he starts his journey toward the cross, he once again says, no, you get behind me, Satan. I'm not listening to you. I've learned a key thing from my own life through all this. is that Jesus was able to recognize the lies because he had such a deep relationship with the truth. And gang, that's important because there is still an enemy who wants to hack into your identity and my identity. I mean, the last thing he wants is for you and me to look, love, and live like Jesus. So he attacks us in regard to who we are. And one of the tactics that he uses is to get us to believe that we are defined by our past. That all of our screw-ups, all of our failures, all the things that we have done or failed to do or have had done to us, that defines who we are. I can't remember whether I've told you this stupid story or not, but I'm going to tell it again anyway. There's a lady that was on her way to work, and every every day on the way to work, she'd walk by this pet store, and there's a parrot in the window, and she'd walk by the pet store, and the parrot would say, hey, lady. And she'd go, what? He goes, you're ugly. He goes, what? Really offended her, you know. The next day she walks by the pet store. Hey, lady. He goes, what? He says, you're ugly. He said, really offended her again. So she goes to the pet store and says, listen, every time I walk by your store, that stupid bird in the window offends me. He keeps saying stuff to me, and you better shut him up. And, and, and the manager says, ma'am, I'm really, really sorry. I didn't, I didn't know he was doing that. I promise you he will never do that again. So the next day she's walking by the, walking by the pet so stupid. Walking by the pet store and the parrot goes, hey lady. She goes, what? He goes, you know. (laughs) You see, the Bible calls Satan the enemy of our soul, calls him the thief, calls him the father of lies and also our accuser. And he says to us, you know, you know who you really are. Come on, look at you sitting in church. You know who you are. You're a loser, man. You're you're a drunk. You're an addict. You're a junkie. Come on. You're you're just a pervert. You're a felon. You're such a failure. You know, you know. You are tainted. You are dirty. You're irreversibly stained. You know. You're so stupid. You're so fat. You're so ugly. You're so lazy. You're so unloved. You're so alone. You always have been. You always will be. You know, just face it. That's just who you are. That's why it's so important to have a relationship with the truth so we can recognize those lies. To be able to hear the voice of Jesus in that moment say, That's not who you are. Because of me, your identity is a much-loved man, a much-loved woman. You are a treasured child of the Most High God. That's who you are. I mean, how many of us can say, you know, why is it I know the square root of 225 is 15? Why is it I know the ins and outs of trigonometry, physics, chemistry, but I don't know who I am? Why is it I know how to change a diaper, juggle schedules, run a family taxi service, but I don't know who I am? Why is it I know how to build a transmission or repair a heart valve or engineer a bridge or play a chord chart or smash a golf ball or close a real estate deal or solve a crime or litigate my case in court, but don't know who I am? You see, so many people find their identity in what they know how to do 
Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I think we ought to pour ourselves into what we do with unbridled passion and, and excellence. We really ought to fully engage in, in our calling in life. But make no mistake about it. What I do is not who I am. And when I begin to see myself as God sees me, when I find my identity in him, when I am confident in who I am, then what I do begins to flow out of this healthy, authentic, purely motivated place. Look what it says in, in John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. In fact, let's throw this up on a screen. Let's just read this out loud together. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. You see, my worth is not based on what I do, where I work, how much I make, how good I look, how smart I am, how many followers I have on social media, what kind of car I drive or who I hang out with. I am already accepted, secure, and significant in his eyes. And so are you. And I'm telling you guys, knowing that truth in the core of your being is a game changer. It allows you to counteract all the lies with some rock solid truth. I was thinking about this encounter that Jesus had with Satan, and I was digging through some old boxes the other day, and I found this thing. I hadn't seen it in years. A, a pastor friend gave it to me years ago, and when I read it, it just fired me up all over again. It, the title of it is A Mandate to Satan, and this is how it goes. Satan, take note and listen well. You will not conquer me. I am linked with a sovereign and eternal power, and I have set my face. You're extremely subtle, but I'm on to your ways. You parade as an angel of light, but I walk in a brighter light. Your days of deception are over with me. I won't be deceived, detoured, derailed, distorted, distracted, discouraged, or disillusioned by your schemes. Your vile influence will not cross the no trespassing sign on the gate of my heart. My life is off limits to you now. My doors are closed to you forever. You won't walk in, crawl in, slither in, sneak in, pry in, jump in, swim in, fly in, drive in or barge into my life. I have a permanent guest that now lives inside and he cannot share this temple with you. Face it. Your days are numbered. Your kingdom is doomed. Your designs are dwindling. Your evil eroding. Your devilishness dissolving. Your deception diminishing. And your death is dying. Your victory party has been canceled. And soon your show will be over. You can't trap me with your schemes, soil me with your subtlety, or defeat me with your deception. Because he that is in me is greater than you. So get off my property. Isn't that awesome? Some of you have heard me talk about Deanna before, and some of you have even met her. She, she spoke at a men's gathering we had. Uh, Deanna's a gal that had a rough upbringing and kind of a tough life, got into all kinds of stuff in the adult entertainment industry, prostitution. She became a, a noted porn star, and, and she wanted to leave that life. And uh, we were living in central Kentucky at the time, and she moved from California to Kentucky and lived with us for three years and went through a program called The Refuge. And and, uh, man, her life has radically changed. Uh, man, it's so cool to watch her. She uh, posted this just a couple of weeks on social media, and I asked her if I could read it. She says, absolutely. This is what she posted. May 20th, I will be graduating from Asbury Theological Seminary with my master's degree. I can't help but remember being on a porn set one day. And one of the male performers looked at me and said, I will never be able to get out. 
This was the response of multiple actors, fans, journalists, and producers, that I would not be able to have another life outside of the sex industry. Well, after 10 years of that lie, I left in 2010, and I'm here to say that my life looks nothing like what it used to when I was merely surviving. Now I'm thriving, and not just because I'm getting a degree and have a great job, but because I have an authentic relationships with God and with others. Destructive habits have been replaced with healthy ones. Codependent relationships have been exchanged for interdependent relationships. Drugs and alcohol are no longer an option. Self-harm has been healed with love. My life is sweet and it's pure. I refused to believe that lie I was told. What lies will you refuse to believe today? See, you see, like Jesus, she recognized the lies because she has a relationship these days with the truth. And I know very few people who look and love and live like Jesus the way Deanna does. She knows who she is these days. And she knows what she wants to accomplish with her life. So let me ask you, what lies will you refuse to believe today? Because when you really get to know the truth, Jesus Christ, the truth will set you free. I love this verse about Jesus' focus. And I just want to show it to you because I think this will lead us into our journey that begins next weekend. It comes from Luke, the ninth chapter, verse 51. It says this. As time drew near for his return to heaven, he moved steadily onward toward Jerusalem, toward a cross, with an iron will. Nothing was going to keep him from doing what he came to do, from laying down his life for you and me. So what do you say we move through our week trying to look and love and live like him? Let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you so much uh, for the way you love us. I, I thank you that our identity is found in you and nowhere else. God, we all wrestle with the same temptations that Jesus had to wrestle with, just to play to the crowd, just to do whatever people want, be liked. God, I, I pray that none of that would distract us from knowing who we really are. None of that would distract us from accomplishing with our life what you've sent us to accomplish in this world. Jesus, thank you so much for the way you just stood toe-to-toe with Satan and you said, get behind me. I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to one voice. And we want to do the same this week. God, all of us know that there are going to be temptations come our way, even as we leave this place, probably before we even leave this place. And I pray in that moment we just hear your voice saying, come on, just choose to do the right thing because that's who you are. Father, I pray that we would live this week in the secure identity that we are accepted and secure and significant in your love. I pray that nothing would be able to take that away from us. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus and all who agreed said, amen.